George McEncroe here, and this is the Moolah Podcast, the conversations that don't come cheap. This podcast brings you the best of the conversations from my radio show, served up weekly for your on-demand attention. Now imagine you're in the UK and you've left the rainy skies of the old blighty and arrived on holiday in beautiful, sunny Spain. As you slip into your swimwear on the first morning, you get a call from your boss. We need you back at work. You mention you're on holiday in Spain, but that doesn't matter. Your boss needs you back pronto. That's an order. That is just one of the ludicrous situations sent to TikTok work agony uncle Ben Askins. He fields problems on social media from young people dealing with tricky job situations, and here's why. It's all about the money. Come on. Find out what it's all about today. I think COVID rewrote the rule book um, when it comes to kind of business culture. Um, and I think if there's one sort of tiny scrap of, you know, good news that came out of the pandemic was it started to give people options in the workplace, um, perhaps for sort of the very first time. And, you know, that covered everything from, you know, things like flexi working and sort of working from home approaches, or it could, you know, cover things like side hustles, like more, you know, new businesses, sort of one man show started up more than any other at any one time. Mm. And so I think options for the first time, it's been quite an interesting development, but I think how people then respond to those options um, has been really interesting to see. And it's, it's not necessarily all gone to plan. No. And I think part of the hate that seems to pour down on the heads of millennials and Jed Zeds, it really, it really bothers me because I've put four young people into the world and I, I quite, I've always quite liked working with the youth um, and helping them learn and, and skill up and get a bit of confidence. What is this sort of generational warfare about? I hear a lot of people, my I'm a Gen Xer, my generation and older, saying Gen Zs and millennials are self-indulgent, soft, can't take a hit, won't be told, want something for nothing. It's just this very demeaning kind of put down. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, it's interesting. There's there a really funny um, sort of thing that went around on Instagram the other day where basically it went back every generation for the last four or five generations finding newspaper clips of basically the previous generation <laughs> complaining about the new generation. And so I don't think like people, it's new necessarily thinking like the latest entry to the workforce is sort of difficult in some way. However, I, I do agree with that. I think it could be a combination of social, the amplification of Gen Zs in particular, and millennials to a lesser extent, but certainly Gen Zs. I don't quite get it. It just doesn't make sense to me because either, you know, humans have evolved to be lazier as in one generation, which just feels unlikely, or there's something kind of deeper at work. And yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I get quite frustrated and I spend a lot of my time kind of you know, sort of shooting a lot of those arguments down because I just, I just totally disagree with them. I, I really, really do. Yeah. Well, I think it, on the one hand, it's very unhelpful to everybody involved, whether you're an employer or an employee or trying to sell or buy anything, hating on a generation. And also, I think you were raised then by Gen Xs. It's your fault. Like, you know, if you're saying these kids are weak and soft and pathetic and useless and then, well, who raised them? Like, if you're going to really go down that path and genuinely hold on to that, you've got to kind of look to how they were made and that that then comes straight back at you. So it's uh, it's sort of hanging shit on yourself in a way. It is, yeah, and I think it's to do with hope. And I know that's quite a weird word to sort of throw around, but 
if you're not working towards something, it's really hard to motivate yourself to do so. Um, and so every, you know, everyone goes through tough times in their career. Like, you know, I, I totally buy into the sort of you've got to start at the bottom, work your way up. All of the, everyone, everyone sort of really gets that. Mm. But if you can't work for something, if you can't work for a house, if you can't, you know, if you've got no realistic chance, people run the numbers, right? They know they're sort of earning potential for the next 5, 10, 15 years. If you're sort of looking at that and saying, look, even if I absolutely kill myself every day, day in, day out for the next 10, 15 years, I still will be nowhere near where I would like to be. Mm. It is a demoralizing thought. And I think that's why for the first time we are seeing people deprioritize their careers in kind of pursuit of other areas of their lives. And it, it, as a society, I think it is a societal problem. And it's as, as a society, it's on all of us to kind of address it because it's just not fair just to say, oh, they're all lazy and they're all rubbish and et cetera, et cetera. I just, I just don't quite buy that. I'm, I'm with you. It's distinctly unhelpful. Yeah, and, and it won't it won't move the dial on affordable housing. Or I mean, I think in the UK and Australia, we're facing very similar issues of, you know, absolutely no likelihood of affordable housing. I mean, the figures here go from being eight times your annual salary to 14, you know, to earn 14 times the average annual salary to buy a home, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, it was four times. So, or sorry, 20 years ago, it was four times. So, it's it's changed a lot. There is no doubt. Yeah. No matter which way you try and slice that pie, they are very different worlds that these young people are moving into and in their working careers. What are some of the, I mean, some of the most things that I like watching about your TikTok is hearing the way in which you, you get a response, you get a message from somebody saying, these are the texts that I received or the emails I received um, about a job offer or a dismissal or holidays being withdrawn, having once been granted. Um, they're all amazing. But what I really like is the way you rephrase it in a way that an employer could have responded to have made that situation better for people. And I think that's really, it's very, very helpful. I've employed a lot of people when I ran my company. Um, you've obviously employed a lot of people. Why is it so hard for management to get wording right or HR to get things right? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it, it's interesting because whenever I do post one of the stories, one of the first things that happen is everyone starts sort of piling and saying, oh, that's desperately, definitely hospitality or that's absolutely delivery or that's definitely from Australia or there's no way that's not from the state. So it appears sort of bad management is one of the genuinely sort of universal things that <laughs> we uh, deal with as a society, which, you know, is fairly depressing when you think about it. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. I think it's a combination because no, no one's, very few people set out to be a bad boss. Yeah, I think that's absolutely. What people have to yeah. yeah. It's not like people sit down and go, right, you know, sort of Devil Wears Prada style, just I'm going to sit here and make everyone as miserable as possible. So when you kind of take that to the side, I think it just comes down to kind of a couple of things. One is it's there's a lot of bad companies employing good people and the structurally, you know, so a lot of managers are very willing to go above and beyond, but kind of restricted. And the other thing is just always comes down to communication. I think people adopt a sort of uh, a, a real approach in regards to, right, so this is how we're going to do and this is how it's always going to happen. And we're just not going to re even give you a little bit of leeway. And I think leeway is important in management because if you make it too rigid, you can never kind of help people on a more personal level. Yeah. And so when you have a company that's incredibly restricted, say, right, this is how we do it and we will never, ever make exceptions. And it's weird. Whenever I ask someone, oh, why won't you make an exception for this person? They always go, oh, it's, it'll just be unfair if we do it for one person. We then have to do it for another. And I said, well, not that, everyone goes through what that employee's going yeah, through. Yeah, that's right. They're and, nursing their mum with a brain tumour. I don't think we're going to see a sudden influx of that. Exactly. And I think, it, you know, it's, it's okay if you sort of say, right, anyone who goes through that, you're allowed a doubt. Do you mean it's okay to be a little bit more rational about it? Because 
the fairness thing is a weird one because it's not like your te- your fellow employees are going to sit around going, oh, I can't believe you got a day off. I mean, they're going through something awful, right? So you have to sort of bear all of that in mind. So I think the rigidity of a lot of companies where they sort of say, right, we've got a lot of employees and we can't um, sort of, rest- you know, if we've, we just have to say this is one rule for everyone, otherwise it's unfair. And fairness is a weird word in the workplace because it's thrown around a lot. And I would argue in trying to be fair, they're actually very unfair a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think they're setting a cultural method that they perhaps don't understand that if you are leading with compassion, understanding and kindness, that that tends to then inform the culture for everybody else. But if you have this kind of real scarcity, well, it's not fair that they got to have two coffee breaks and I only got to have one. So it, you know, then you, then it's petty all around. Everybody becomes kind of stingier in their attitude. Yeah. And, and I think that's where the disconnect arrives because a lot of companies will spend a lot of time putting out a lot of marketing messaging saying, you know, our people are our, our company and, you know, we we treat them well and they'll treat our clients well. And you hear all of that get thrown around the workplace. And of course that's true, but I think where people get frustrated is when they spend so much time marketing what they do and not enough kind of doing it. I think that's where the frustration comes from. And and, and from my side, you know, I've, you know, like you sort of touched upon, you know, I've run businesses and mm. I've done things very badly in the past. And, oh, yeah, and that's kind of where this channel came <laughs> from is I've, I've run unmotivated teams and yeah. I've also run motivated teams. And let me tell you, when the business grows, it's always when the team's motivated and up for it. And so I do find it interesting because when you sit around with founders of business, you say to them, right, would you rather your team was motivated or unmotivated? You will never, ever, ever find someone who says unmotivated. And so you do say, well, then walk me through your last 10, 15 decisions. Because mm-hmm. if you'd sat down and tried to run this team into a ground, you would have done exactly what you've just done. So it really does blow my mind. It just comes down to sort of training, basic communication, and, and just that slight sort of People think management's different to dealing with people. Like you all have personal relationships. Mm. Like just approach that with management because you know how people want to be treated. Yeah, you, most you, of us you come do. with some semblance of empathy. So I've been an entrepreneur for about ten years now. So manage people all the way through. Um, and yet, yeah, most of my advice comes from, "Oh, I wish I hadn't done that uh, early on in my journey." So yeah, very much uh, got the scars to prove it. Yeah, and look, I love it that you know you, when you get these responses and you're genuinely just like jaw on the floor. Oh my god, how could this person have misread this situation? And I think one of the things that strikes me too is when managers do a really good job, like when somebody is in a moment of vulnerability, you can actually come in and support that person and they will be with you forever. Do you ever find that people misunderstand that a staff member being sick can actually be an opportunity to garner loyalty, support, motivation, rather than just, oh, it's an inconvenience, we're going to have to hire somebody, a contractor to fill in? Yeah, exactly that. Because I think you know, if you work for someone, say for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, where however long you work for some stuff at some point in your personal life will leak into your um, professional one. That, that's just kind of life. That, that's just how it works. Mm. And when that happens as a business, you do have two choices. You can either choose to kind of step up and kind of do what you always say you do um, and, you know, be there for that person, make it easier, give them the time because it's in your best interest. And I think that's the most important yes. point. Kind of the it's point a I very... really do try and flag. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You give them a week to kind of sort themselves out. And in return, they can give you years of served like hard work and motivated service because you were there for them when they needed you and so vice versa i think where people kind of get really frustrated is this sort of complete look i don't care what happens in your personal life as long as it doesn't leak into your professional that's such an unnecessary position to take a stance on it's why people get so hacked off so quickly because it's so silly it really is like it's such basic human human effort but it's just so poor from an entrepreneurial business whatever you want to call it yes it's commercially it's 
commercially stupid and it is also the point at which somebody will say, you know what, my kid was in hospital with a fever and work treated me like rubbish and they choose at that moment to leave and it's just a matter of counting down the days until they can get out of that organisation and find somewhere else to work and it could have been a moment, you know, if a muffin basket had turned up or a pizza for the family instead of 15 WhatsApp messages and 17 missed calls and where are we at with this, you know, page for the for the pitch briefing? Um, yeah, that's that. That is where people go. You know what? Get stuffed. I'm out. It, it's tiny gestures, and also it doesn't cost them much. You know, it, it's only small pay increases. It's only small little gestures that, from a business perspective, I know for a fact, cost very little in the grand scheme of things. And on the flip side, you make these mistakes, and my God, things get very expensive very quickly because recruitment is not cheap. Um, and so, you know, because it's not just the disruption of having people down, because then people might leave as well because everyone gets too busy and everyone gets stressed, and you know, you start losing clients because of the poor service. Etc., and it just starts to spiral very, very quickly. And yeah, so, so it's so important to stay on top of it. Underneath all these emails and things that you respond to is, is this sort of, you're an unapologetic capitalist who says, I believe in making money, but what are the sort of unseen costs of turnover and attrition? Yeah, I mean, the numbers are mad. So 25% of people currently working think they are working for the worst boss they've ever had. <gasps> Which is, which is crazy, especially as when 75, 75% of people who leave is because of their boss or directly their manager. I mean, of course, there are other reasons why people leave, but when ultimately what it comes down to is it's poor management or they don't like their boss or something like that. And when you kind of marry those two numbers up, it's just staggering. And then people sit around going, I just don't, are oh, these lazy Gen, you know, Gen Zs, they just don't want to work. It's like, well, of course they don't. If eight people leave your team out of 10, it's not the generation's fault, it's your fault. Like, take some responsibility. Yeah, at what point? do you say I want to be in charge and I want to have the C-suite level of employment and and remuneration but I don't actually want to be accountable for how many people leave yeah I mean it it, it blows my mind and the fact that there's such a disconnect in that it's just so obvious I mean if people start to leave you know a business the first thing I look at is who their manager is because there's a pattern right four people leave the same team you know very quickly and there's only one reason for that and it's amazing how often people don't look to address that problem because it's the easiest way to save retention is management training. So, yeah, you're not even saying, like, get rid of that manager. You're saying they're underskilled for the tasks that they have to complete. Exactly. I mean, it goes back to what I said. Very few people sit there going, oh, I'm going to be an evil boss this this year. Mm. That's my goal. You know, it always comes down to just either just total lack aware of awareness in regards to, you know, very few bosses realise they're being bad bosses. It's very, very strange. But it is amazing how often, you know, at some point it still becomes your fault because you've not asked, you've not kind of set up those communication frameworks. But, you know, again, it kind of goes back to that point. If if half your managers are bad, that's on you as the founder or the business owner because what the hell are you playing at? That's so expensive. You're going to be wasting so much money <laughs> alongside the kind of basic humanity of, you know, I'd like to think it'd be nice if we could give people a place to work they actually enjoyed. So, yeah, it, th- th- there's no downside in my mind to this kind of approach. Um, yeah. But I do get called out for it quite a lot. <laughs> you, you do cop it, but I do also just love the way people still write to you. I can't believe some of the, my favourites are when people have been called back from holidays and they're literally in another country. Ben Askins, you know, sorry, I've rescinded, I've taken back your leave. You need to get here. I can't. I'm in another country. No, no, you need to. It's not a, it's not a request. It's a command. I mean, honestly, these people, but Ben Askins, please follow him. And you do, you do answer questions from Australians, don't you? I, I get, yeah, a lot of Aussies write to me, which is, yeah, very kind. I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> 
That was Ben Askins, a UK-based entrepreneur and work agony uncle. Do follow him on TikTok or YouTube for more insightful and often hilarious work and management advice. This is just one of the many interviews we do every day. If you want to hear more, catch me live on air. I'm on Monday to Friday, 9 till 11am on DAB Plus and online at disrupt.radio. And make sure you follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Moolah, Moolah. Moolah, a new way of talking about money.